Now, we know that online isn't great, but we also know it's not forever. And so I want to just add my words to Adrian. It's going to be the way that we're going to have to lean in, um, and uh, we're going to have to use this as ways to keep in touch, etc. Um, and we, we do urgently need to make changes and big changes in the next few weeks. Lives depend on it. Um, and uh, I certainly don't want to go through, uh, as a church, what we went through in the second wave. And so uh, without yeah, a moment's fear, but nevertheless, you know, Jesus came and people were amazed by his wisdom, his miracle power, and those were not opposites. <laughs> He carried this incredible wisdom, and he carried miracle power. And he didn't use one to substitute for the other. He just carried both. And we need wisdom, and we're praying for miracle power. And then he carried this authority. So when he went to his hometown, people, as we saw last week, were like blown away. Wisdom, power, and a real sense of authority. So we're going to kind of pick up a little bit further in that. As, uh, as we continue in our series, The Power of Ministry, and today I want to talk about being under authority. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8 and pick up halfway through verse 5. But just before that, I thought I, we, we, we probably need a little bit of help on, on, on remembering some of the lessons from our first lockdown. For example, in first lockdown... Um, if you visit the fridge too often, your buttons are going to socially distance. So just remember that that is going to be a bit of a dangerous thing. And the other thing I learned in the first lockdown is that, you know, I've wanted to paint our house. And I've always told myself if I had the time, I'm sure I would do it. And I learned in the first lockdown that having the time to paint my house was not actually the problem. Um, so I managed to paint a little bit of the front wall. Um, hopefully I don't have the time this time around to try again. Um, the other thing I learned was, um, you know, after being inside the house, I said to Cindy, I got out a map of South Africa, I said, I'm going to take you wherever, you know, you hit. And I gave her a dart and I said to her, I want you to throw at the map of South Africa. We're going to go there for two weeks. Well, it turns out we're spending two weeks behind the grandfather clock in the dining room. Um, <laughs> so lessons learned in the beginning of lockdown. I hope that you're uh, not, uh, you're not going to spend two weeks behind the grandfather clock, but uh, that you, uh, that we can find, as it were, some things that actually during this time are still positive and are still life-giving and still carry hope. And, and you know what? We've got reasons to wake up literally every single day and be grateful. We really do. And so finding that in the Lord and in the environment that we're in. And remember, when we saw this last week, don't look at the things that are not happening. Turn your attention. As Jesus coached John the Baptist, um, and I saw in the children's talk, Jesus had to coach John the Baptist in a few things. Well, Jesus coached John the Baptist when John the Baptist was starting to even, you know, struggle. He said, you know, you're so aware of what's not yet happened. Look at the things that are. And so as we're in this time, let's remember to look at the things for which we can be really grateful. So Matthew chapter 8, 
um, halfway through verse 5, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. It's a very severe condition. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, you know, you could just see him like elbow into the rib. You know, truly I tell you, I have not seen anyone in Israel. Remember this centurion, Roman centurion, would have been a Gentile. But I have not seen anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, in other words, those who thought they were in, will be thrown outside into darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. A little bit more background from Luke. Luke tells us the servant was actually dying as well, very sick and dying, that the encounter happened with some intermediaries. Some of the Jewish leaders were actually part of a delegation coming to Jesus. It doesn't make Matthew's account wrong. It just adds a little bit more detail. And, and that these intermediaries tried to convince Jesus that this man was worthy and deserving. So how do we unpack this story? And, and why is Jesus amazed? I, I mean, last week we saw Jesus was amazed at a lack of faith in Israel, in his own hometown. Now he's somewhere else, and he stands amazed again. Last week, at a lack of faith. It seemed so bizarre to him. It seemed so offensive to him that people wouldn't trust his father. Now he meets a centurion, and I haven't got time to go into all of it, but whose faith just blesses Jesus, just blows Jesus away. He is stunned. Now, essentially, the centurion says three things, and I'm going to take us through them. The first one is, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I remember meeting an evangelist, and it was in the later years of his life, and it was about 35 years ago in my life. Um, and you'd meet him, and you'd think he's a really good guy. In any case, turns out that he'd spent most of his teenage years first in juvenile detention and then later in prison and in the early part of his adult life. And... Uh, and then while in prison, someone came into that context and began preaching Jesus and telling stories about Jesus. 
And it dawned on him, and these are his words, like an absolute light bulb going on, Christianity isn't for good people. <laughs> now, I, don't know, I don't know about you. I don't know who you are, where you're listening from, and whatever, but maybe the impression that's been sitting in your mind is that church and Christianity and Jesus and God, well, that's for good people. Well, Vic says it hit him like a thunderbolt that Jesus had come for people who don't deserve it, and yet, like the centurion, still have faith to ask. He's going, I don't deserve it. But knowing we don't deserve something in the kingdom of God does not disqualify us. Strangely enough, it qualifies us. You see, the centurion gets one of the most fundamental truths that came and changed Vic's life in prison. He got to hear that Jesus came for people like me. And even when I mess up and I'm not good, Jesus has come. You see, when God does something for you, it is always a gift. It's always a gift. You've never earned it. You don't deserve it. And so we have the synagogue people coming to say, well, he's built our synagogue and he deserves it and you should do this for him. And he's the first guy to say, I don't deserve it. It's always a gift. And it's always because of who God is and God's character and not yours. <laughs> but what you do need is this kind of faith. You see, this kind of faith, it knows I don't deserve it but can still ask, is the faith that opens heaven. See, faith is not bargaining with God. God, I will bring you my goodness if you will give me X, Y. It's God, I bring you my need and I trust your goodness. And it's not that God is denying the problem of our sin or our brokenness. That's what took Jesus to the cross. That's why he died. But remember this. Faith is not bargaining with God. It doesn't come with a transactional mindset. We need to understand and actually find freedom in this. I don't deserve it, but I can still ask. That's what we learn from the story of Jesus. Jesus didn't come for good people. He came to make us good, but he knew all along that we would need it as a gift. And so while this might come as a surprise for you, one of the most important things on your journey towards God is to recognize, I don't deserve this, and I never could. And the most amazing thing out of the story is you don't need to deserve it. You just need to believe it. Now, what difference does that make for us? It makes all the difference in the world. Because then I receive as a gift the kindness of God. So we want to learn the faith of Jesus to do ministry like Jesus. But we must have faith in Jesus, in what he shows us about the nature of God, that it's not our earning or deserving, but it is in the character of God's compassion and grace. So I don't deserve this, number one. Number two, I am a man under authority. I'm just jiggling the order a little bit. 
He says, I'm a man under authority. Now, if you think, I am, I am someone under authority, finish the sentence, someone. If, if you're under authority, follows. Sorry? Command. So if you're under someone's authority, who do, who do you expect is going to have to obey the commands? You. Good call, Paul. I'm glad you said it. But the centurion disagrees because he's used to authority. Now, we think I'm under authority, therefore I must obey the commands. But notice he's got faith for something different. He says, I am a man under authority, so I can tell people what to do. I say to this man, go and do this, and he does it. And I say to this man, go fetch this, and he fetches it. Why? Because I am under authority. I have authority to the extent that I am submitted to a greater authority. Your authority is not in and of yourself. True authority is always a derived thing as the outcome of a submission to a much greater authority. So he recognizes in Jesus that Jesus has submitted himself to the ultimate authority, to Father God. And so the more, when you're dealing with godly authority, the more you submit, the greater the power that comes into you. The more submitted I am, the more empowered I am. So here's a crazy thing. We live in a world where people resist and resent authority and then wonder why they're powerless. We also live in a world where people with authority abuse it because when authority is godly and healthy, it always equips and enables the people who submit to it. They become better at doing things. They don't become less because they submit. They become more because they submit. Think of that in the context of marriage and several other questions around submission in Scripture. But there are some implications. Let me just unpack them, for example. This is not a passive submission that the, that the centurion has in mind. It's not like, okay, well, we submitted. We're under authority, so whatever happens, happens. It's somebody else's problem. He goes, <laughs> it's the kind of submission that can make things happen. You have the power to give commands when you're under authority. You have the power when you're submitted to a greater authority to represent that authority and in that authority's name to do stuff. So it's not a passive, I'm under authority. <laughs> it's an empowering, I'm under authority. The other thing is, is that faith, which is right at the heart of this, is not a trick to, to get God to do what we want. Like if I just believe enough, then God has to do what I want Him to. Faith is genuinely submitting myself to the planned person and purposes of God and being completely at home, submitting my life utterly to Him. It's His outcomes. It's His initiative. Remember we saw last week in that absolutely genius illustration that the preacher gave us. When power starts coming from heaven, 
we have something living faith in us. It was the um, photosynthesis illustration that activates and releases its energy to create the change and pull the carbon out of the air and release oxygen. And it's the initiative and power of heaven that comes first and that we receive that faith comes by hearing. It's always God's initiative. It's always God whose plan and purpose that we're submitting to. It's always God's design. And so faith is activated out of that encounter with God. And when I understand what God is doing and saying, then I really have authority to start making things happen around me. Faith is not a trick to get God to do what I want. Faith is a response to the initiative and action of God in which my life in submission to Him becomes part of activating the kingdom all around me. Does that make sense? One of the implications is that the more submitted I am, the more attention I pay to where I see God at work around me. Why? Because I want to see His work, not mine. So I want to see what He's doing. And so the reason the centurion believed Jesus could say a word and a dying man could recover health and strength was because he saw in Jesus a submission to a good God. And he believed the very power of God is in the person of Jesus. And Jesus goes, wow, guys, did you get that? Hey, 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 did you see that? I haven't found this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. And the disciples are probably going, what about us? <laughs> and then the centurion, third thing he says, and it's in the middle there, but he says, just, Jesus, just say the word. Just give the command. And he's talking from this military context. He understands the power of a command. The interesting thing is when we look at this and the, and the ministry that Jesus did, which we are taking as our training curriculum for the ministry course, is that Jesus didn't do ministry by praying for people, although he prayed all the time. <laughs> Whether they were sick or demonized or oppressed or poor or even dead. Now, of course, Jesus was in communion with the Father. We've seen that. And he was living by the presence of fullness and power and anointing and gifts of the Holy Spirit. But these moments of activating ministry were most often issued by a command that he gave. So in, in just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, when the man comes to him and says, Lord, if you're willing, Jesus says, I am willing, and then gives a command, be clean, and immediately the man is healed doesn't stop and have a prayer meeting and everything like He gives a command. And the healing comes. That's His authority. And so at the end of our story, for example, in verse 13, go, let it be done as you believed it, it was. And He gives the command, and the servant is healed at that moment. In, uh, later in the chapter, verse 27, there's the storm. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, In the middle of the storm, you of little faith, why were you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and waves. Naughty wind, naughty waves. Lie down and stay there. A little bit like Holly, my dog, who sometimes gets overexcited, and I have to tell her to lie down. And the waves respond to Jesus more than my dog responds to me. 
and they lie down. Peace be still. And the, the, the guys were just like amazed in that encounter. What kind of man is this? It's a good question. Even the wind and waves obey him. He gives a command. So we could spend a lot of time looking at this, but sometimes we need to realize that out of prayer, so it's not like we don't pray, but one of the hardest things to do is to stop praying in which we're wanting God to do everything and to actually say the word ourselves in the ministry situation. You know, the one occasion where Jesus did stop and pray was when he was about to call Lazarus out of the tomb, but he only did so, and he's explicit, John 11, verse 41 to 44, that he's, he's, he's praying so that people can see he's in relationship with the Father, but Lazarus stays in the tomb until he gives the command, Lazarus, come out. There's another time in Mark 9 where the disciples could not drive out an evil spirit, and Jesus explains to them that prayer is needed, but then he doesn't pray. He just gives the command. <laughs> Why? Because he was living prayer. So it's not like prayer isn't needed. Prayer is needed. But again and again, the ministry moment is activated because there's an authoritative command from someone in submission to God who knows that nobody in that environment deserves it, but you can still trust God for the goodness that comes. Now, this is what we see the disciples do when, when we go to the next step of the training, which is when Jesus starts handing it out to others. So in Acts chapter 3, we have Peter and John at the temple, and they say to the man who was begging there, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He has the command, walk. And they make it clear they're in submission to Jesus and to his name. And so in submission to that name, his authority, he has your command, get up and walk. Or take Peter when, when he had learned that a lovely, lovely lady, Tabitha, had died. And he goes into the room and Acts 9 verse 40 says, Peter sent everyone out, probably because everyone was already in a place of despair, then he knelt down and prayed. That is very unusual. It's a bit like we saw Elijah do when he was praying for the rain cloud. Most Jewish men do not kneel to pray. They stand, they lift their hands up, but there are times in Scripture where we find this kneeling posture. And he kneels down to pray, but notice this, she's not up yet. She hasn't opened her eyes. And then turning to the body, out of this prayer, he gives the command, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, awake. Tabitha, get up. And so she opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. See the pattern. Or Paul. Paul is in one of the Asia Minor cities, Philippi, in Acts 16, verse 18. And there's this girl following them around and she's got a demonic spirit and she's using it to prophesy and do a whole lot of stuff and it's eventually harassing them. And finally Paul becomes so annoyed he turned around and said to the spirit in the girl, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment the spirit left her. 
Or again in Acts 28 verse 8. Paul's been shipwrecked on the island of Malta and a whole bunch of stuff, including a snake bites happened to him and everything like that. And, and it happened that the father of Publius, who was the governor, was lying in bed aff- afflicted with fever and dysentery, recurrent. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, notice the rhythm, he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, we don't know about the command or whatever. So, Notice how often there is this thing of like literally speaking life, saying something that brings the change in that moment. Now, God says doesn't it's important to say. Doesn't always need to happen like that, and it doesn't always happen like that. There's times in Jesus's ministry when God's presence and His power is so obviously present. That healing happens before a command happens. I mean, Hillary took us through the picture of that woman who reached out and just touched the edge of Jesus' cloak or prayer shawl, and healing flowed. And no word of command was given. There was just the faith. So this is not mechanical. Um, We read in Acts chapter 5, and this is not just about Jesus, Peter is just walking to the temple to go and join the people in worship and prayer, and his shadow falls on sick people and they get well. No command is given. Paul, you know, was, could never find his handkerchiefs because Timothy was stealing them and giving them to people so that in Ephesus, that hanky could go and become part of the ministry team because Paul himself couldn't get there. Um, I'm not quite sure if my reconstruction is accurate. But uh, what we do know is that there was no commands and, and people were getting healed. So this is not to put God in a box. It really isn't. It's just to look at the normal way. If, we, if we're wanting to learn the power of ministry and the model of ministry, the normal way in which it happens. And the normal way, especially in a new environment, is when we find the faith to say the word. Now, I want to be very clear. As we look at the example of Jesus, some people have felt that the power is in faith itself. And we've already looked at that. It's not faith in faith itself. It's faith in God. The other thing is it's not even faith in our words. Our words are significant. Our words matter. But this is not the faith of positive confession. Nowhere does Jesus say to a sick man, you need to say to yourself, I am healed, I am healed, I am healed, in spite of the fact that you're sick. This is not, as has sometimes been interpreted by others, as, as some kind of verbal magic. The other thing it's not, is Jesus is not, and neither was Peter or Paul or any of the apostles, giving commands to God. Notice that they in submission to God. They know the military order. They know the power lines and authority lines in this kingdom. They are not going to God to give commands. They are aware of what God is doing and they are responding to the initiative and power of God. Remember, faith is not a lever to get God to do what you want. It's always a response to what God enables you to see and hear that he is doing around you. So they're not giving commands to God. But in submission to God, they are giving commands to something in creation. The other thing is, 
is that when they give these commands, they're not giving commands that control people. They're giving commands that heal people, deliver people, set free. Sometimes people get stuck on authority and they think that they now have the right to tell people what to do. Well, in one sense, and in this sense, we, we do. We need to tell people, repent. Put your faith in Jesus. But that is never a controlling command. It is always a command that puts responsibility where it belongs. It never takes agency from people. It's actually giving agency to people. So what are they speaking to? They're speaking to the created order, to, to, to a body indirectly, for example. This man's body was paralyzed, and he's critically ill. And Jesus gives the word. He gives the order, and the man is made well. That man's body responds to the power of God that was present in Jesus. So how does this work for us as we want to train and learn? One of the first things is we've got to realize, and Peter and Paul model it, is this is not going to come without that relationship with God. Remember, Jesus is our prototype in which he does ministry out of relationship with the Father and by the presence and fullness and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So as we're learning from Jesus to do ministry the way he did, you see, Jesus hasn't come up with a command to do world mission and then said, guys, but it's up to you to work out how to do this thing. I've got, I, I really don't, you know, there's, there's no guidelines. The very gifts of God's grace, freedom, deliverance, mercy, justice, community, hospitality, those are the tools of the mission. Church, when we do those things, the world changes. And so when we share our faith and someone puts their trust in Jesus, something of the grace of God becomes present through us. So we do this bringing ourselves to God, paying attention to God, submitting to God, and learning from Jesus, your will, not my will be done. It's out of that submission that our authority grows. But don't think for a moment that even that submission is earning what God wants to do. It's simply accessing what God wants to do. It's there for you. But you access it by acknowledging what the centurion had and that absolutely blessed and amazed Jesus. There's so much faith here. <laughs> There's so much faith here. Good things are going to follow. There's so much faith here. Healing can come. There's so much faith here. Mercy can come. There's so much faith here. Freedom can come. There's so much faith here. Justice and righteousness can come. It's not earned. It's accessed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are giving us access to the resources of heaven itself.
maybe for a moment. Just stop and imagine. You're standing before Jesus. You've got his full attention. What do you need to ask him for today? Some of us that literally might be the faith to trust him. You thought that Christianity is for good people and you're discovering it is grace and that God is willing to give you grace. Then today I invite you with all my heart to put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. Maybe you want to pray with me. Father God, thank you that you've come for people like me. Thank you that although I disqualified myself, you have not disqualified me from grace. And today, I put my trust in Jesus who has made a way for me to receive from you what I need. Father, we, we bring to you our lives. We want to, we really do want to be in that place of submission that sees the kingdom's authority released for the sake of the world around us. And then in the name of Jesus, for whatever you're trusting God for, hear the words of Jesus himself. Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And that centurion got his answer and his servant was healed. Your situation may be different, but as we close today's servant, uh, service, I want to remind you that there is this capacity to speak the life that changes the world. So go. It will be done just as you believed it would. Amen.